Hi, everyone. This is Julie Costin at the Inclusion Podcast. Today's episode, episode 15, is going to be amazing. I am about to introduce you to Brianna Dickens, who I met as a doctoral student at Syracuse University. Brianna considers herself an autistic self-advocate, and she's a PhD student in special education and disability studies at Syracuse University. Brianna has a master's degree in special education, a bachelor's degree, and teaching certification in elementary education. She is currently a research assistant at the Institute on Communication and Inclusion, and she considers herself someone with her own neurodivergent and alternative communication journey, and her work all focuses on how to expose possibilities for human beings in school systems. So I think you're in for a real treat. We're going to make this podcast a four-part series. Today's series, episode 15, is really going to be about Brianna's general experience and then how competence has been part of her very unspecial education. So let me welcome Brianna Dickens. Hi, Brianna. Hi. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you. Brianna and I have had the experience of working together the last two days. And it was so amazing that I said, can we do a podcast today? So we're back together um, doing this work. So working with Brianna has been so helpful to me because in school systems, I talk a lot about creating inclusive experiences and presuming competence and how to provide communication and friendship and behavioral supports. And then Brianna comes in and teaches people things that I could never teach because she has lived an experience of having a segregated life up until this point. So I'm just going to start, Brianna, by asking you, do you mind telling us um, about your kind of a brief overview of your educational experiences? Yeah, so um, I was uh, labeled uh, with autism at at three years old. And um, at that point, um, I didn't have any reliable communication. Um, until I was 10 years old and I learned how to type. Um, and at that, at that point, um, I was able to start, uh, sharing more of what I know. And from there, uh, built up the ability to speak at 16. Um, so, um, but. So can I, I ask you, can I interrupt you and ask prior to 16, you didn't have any speech. Is that right? No, I was, uh, deemed nonverbal. Okay, deemed nonverbal. Okay, and, and then at that point, um, I learned how to type and then learned how how to speak. Uh, and then, so I went through segregated special ed, uh, K through twelve. Hmm. Um, but at sixth grade, because I could type and share more of what I know, I got to move from um, IEP track diploma to regular diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, then I was able to go on to get my undergrad um, in elementary ed. Um, And it went smoothly, except for I got kicked out of student teaching. (laughs) Okay. Um, I just, well, it didn't seem like I was a good fit, I I suppose, for the school, but I was able to get my certificate for teaching and and go on. Um, But, uh, and then I I went back to get my master's in special ed. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point, um, there was my fam my, my, my family had some, 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 um, my family had, had some tragedies. And so I, 
um, ended up um, going into the system. Uh, the the uh, becoming guardian of a ward of the state. Okay. So I was getting my my masters, but also segregated. Um, and then um, I was able to regain my guardianship, and I went on. Um, then I ran away to New York, <laughs> okay. and um, from from then on, uh, lived a fully fully independent, inclusive life, and am a full doc student, just as every everybody else doing teaching assistant, graduate assistant, um, and all of the responsibility that come along with that. Okay, so if I heard you right, you were in a segregated school, K-12, then you went on and got your teaching certificate, then you went on and got your master's degree, Yeah, and then um, now you're in a doctoral program. Yes. Right. And so the K-12 experience, you were in what's called a self-contained classroom, so it's a classroom for kids only with disabilities. Is that yes. right? Okay. Um, and so today, um, and then I also wanted to highlight, you said that you were a ward of the state for a while. Yes. Okay. So prior to that, you lived with your dad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there were tragedies and you are now, you were a ward of the state, but then you regained your own. Yes. Um, what's the word? I guardianship. Can't, guardianship. Thanks. So you regained your own guardianship. Meaning you get to make the, any legal decisions yes. about your life. Yes. And you decided to run away to New York. Why was that? Why did you pick New York? Because, um, well, uh, one of my contacts in Colorado um, knew about the program. Okay. And it helped me apply. Um, and Syracuse had, well, I had gotten into Chicago too. Uh-huh. But I couldn't live in Chicago. <laughs> um so I chose SU. Mm-hmm. And so you were accepted into a doctoral program. Yes. At Syracuse University. Yes. So that is where I first met Brianna. And um, we didn't, you never TA'd with me or anything like that. But I definitely knew who you were and was part of um, bringing you in. So I'm super excited about that. Okay, Brianna. So I am curious, and this podcast is all about the idea of competence. Because I recognize that you were in a self-contained classroom, which suggests that people didn't see you as a competent human being. Right. Right. And so you not only had um, the label of having autism and being someone who's nonverbal, I'll put that in quotes. Um, did you have any other labels at the time? I intellectual disability. Okay. So they gave you the label of intellectual disability. Did that last your whole K-12 experience? No. Um, when I got, I had a re-eval in sixth grade. Okay. And dropped that. And then that label was dropped? Yeah. So you were cured of having an intellectual disability? Yep. <laughs> what do you make of that? So when I say that, I was joking about being cured of having an intellectual disability. What would you say is the reason that that label was dropped? I was just able to get across what I knew before that um, I couldn't get across what I knew to the larger public. Right. So it's not that you weren't intelligent before this. It's that the test used to measure that intelligence wasn't accessible to you. Right. Right. Okay, good. Okay, so I want to start by asking you a question about... um, what was it like to not be presumed as competence or do you have any stories or experiences 
that would help us understand what it might have felt like to not be seen as a competent person? Yeah. So um, uh, one one story um, that my parents used to tell uh, me and now I like to retell is um, uh, so um, before I was able to um, type, I learned to communicate through the land. Um, we lived on a big farm. Um, and so I learned um, how about my body and how, how to communicate um, through the land. So my dad would teach me like um, the, the soil and he'd have me touch the soil. And uh, if it was dry, mm -hmm. um, he would say, if it feels like that, we add water. Um, and if you add water, then the plants can flourish. Mm -hmm. And so he would relate that to my body um, and have me fill my tongue. And if it felt like the dry soil, then I knew that I needed to add water to it. Um, and that would help me flourish. So, um, that's how I kind of learned about my body. And then I learned to communicate that I was thirsty by touching the dry soil, mm -hmm. um, at first. And, and then it bridged into like, I could just touch my tongue mm -hmm. and he would know, but I knew that if I touched the dry soil, he could give me some water. So that was what happened at home. And then when I transitioned into school, mm -hmm. um, I tried that same system <laughs> and, it, and it didn't work so well. Um, so, so you mean that communication system didn't translate to school easily? Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Tell us about that. So, um, you know, I'm sitting in the classroom and I need... I need some water, so I needed to find some soil, um, but there wasn't accessible soil in the classroom, right. so you'd have I'd have to break out and either go to the playground and get some, uh -huh. or I learned that uh, there was plants in the teacher's lounge, uh -huh. uh, so I could go and grab soil out of their plants. <laughs> um, so I would do that, and then um, I would bring it back to my teacher, and she wasn't sure like what I was doing. So then I'd go to touch my hand or my tongue. And, um, you know, there was soil in my hand. So then that got into my tongue. And um, they were very worried about me. <laughs> so they called my parents in and they're like, um, I think your child might have pica. Okay, wait. So for people listening, I think my child might have pica is what they said because you were touching your tongue with the soil. Yeah, because I was like. They thought I was eating soil. Right. And so for people who don't know what pica is, pica is eating non-food items, right? Yeah. So they wanted to add another label. Add another label to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, but my dad just kind of laughed and was like, no, I think she's just thirsty. <laughs> right. Right. So that communication, when, when moved to school, how would you explain how they saw you? I mean, they saw me as a feral child <laughs> okay. um and and one that couldn't couldn't possibly be trying to tell them something mm -hmm. um but rather like had something wrong mm -hmm. so they did not see me as competent mm -hmm. thank you well brianna that's just um, so fascinating to think about how you were doing all the work to communicate and even breaking out of your classroom need be to write to communicate your needs. And yet that was seen as 
problematic behavior in pretty real ways, right? Um, There are lots of teachers out there that are listening to this podcast and they support students, maybe students with autism, maybe students who don't have verbal communication. And um, kind of what would you tell them when they're working with someone who doesn't have verbal communication? How should they read kids? Um, so, um, I learned actually at Syracuse University the lingo for it. But, okay. Um, I would, um, I would kind of suggest to think about making the least dangerous assumption about the kiddo standing in front of you. So, um, what I mean by like least dangerous assumption is making the assumption that would be least dangerous, I guess, to a kiddo. So um, rather than like assuming that I had something wrong with me, Mm -hmm. um, it would have been helpful if they assumed that I was trying to tell them something Mm -hmm. um, or trying to get a need met or anything other than strapping another diagnosis on. Mm -hmm. Because all um, anytime you make the most dangerous assumption, um, it leads into direct harm for a kiddo. Mm -hmm. So thinking about what would cause the least harm Mm. um, and what might they be trying to tell me. So what if it's not obvious, right? So I'm going to be honest. If someone came and put dirt dirt soil in their mouth, my first assumption wouldn't be thirsty, right? So can you just help me think about that? So when you're a teacher working with someone who doesn't communicate verbally, um, how do I approach a situation that I don't even understand? I mean, I think first recognizing that you don't understand. Beautiful. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that they don't understand what they're doing. Mm. Um, they probably do understand or are doing what the best that they can with what they have. Um, um, but like first recognizing that you don't understand is very important. The ass- assuming that you do understand is usually part of the least or the most dangerous assumptions. Love that. So coming in with a false sense of professionalism, like I'm the special ed teacher, I, I should know. So I might make assumptions and and um, try to look as if I understand. Yeah. You're saying that can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So instead, number one, recognize, I don't know. Yeah. And then what would be number two? Try to um, work with that student um, and their support system or their friends or to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So you work with the people around that person, right. including that person. Right. Right. If they would have asked my dad, they would have known. Oh, beautiful. Right. Right. There were people who knew Mm -hmm. and they should have started there. Yeah. Great. I'm going to pause today and just tell everybody that um, we have three more podcasts coming up with Brianna. Today's podcast was about presuming competence and what it's like to not be perceived as competent. We're going to move into communication, then we're going to talk about friendship, and then we're going to talk about behavior with Brianna. So stay tuned or go ahead and listen to our very next episode 
about communication and the very best ways to support students. So thanks everybody for listening. And Brianna, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 